0: Hello everyone, welcome to What is Covenant, specialized pastoral care services, Christian counseling ministry, with Dr. Michael David Clay, a.k.a. Dave Clay. I've heard it said that the two most difficult words to either get out of your mouth or to get from someone else is, I'm sorry, actually three words. I am sorry. Sorry <laughs> indeed does seem to be the hardest words. But if they're said, with <laughs> the right intention and spirit, there's none more powerful. But what is sorry worth? Only as much as you don't do it again. Whatever it is, repentance, penitence, a change of heart, A change of mind, a change of soul, a change of spirit, proper motive, corrective, all of those things should underlie, I'm sorry. But sorry should never be used to simply just get off the hook or to mitigate a punishment. 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 17. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, in the place where the dogs licked the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood. Even thine. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and will take away thy posterity, and will cut off from Ahab every male, and him who is shut up and left in Israel. And will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, and like the house of Balsha, the son of Ahijah, for the provocation with which thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel also spoke the Lord, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city, the dog shall eat, and him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. But there was none like unto Ahab, who did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up, and he did very abominably in following idols according to all things, as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel." And it came to pass, when Ahab heard these words, that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted, and lay in sackcloth and went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days But in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. Was Ahab sorry? I think we've already answered that question in the last podcast. I think he might have been in the moment he was in. Did he have a conscience at all? Maybe a very, very, very small one. Uh, Residual, I'm sure, of his upbringing in in alignment with his inheritance, as again, of the house of Israel, the children of Israel, and the promise that God has bestowed continues. It's a has in a present tense, continued, continues to Israel. But Ahab was, if at all, of the house of Israel and at all subject to any sort of conscience as with inheritance of all that the Hebrew people had learned up to the point of his material existence. Uh, He was about to throw it all out as with the baby with the bathwater proverb. And what had he done? (laughs) He himself had not murdered necessarily Naboth for the sake of a vineyard and Naboth (laughs) refusing to give up what he knew to be very, very important, his rightful inheritance, Jezebel had chosen to (laughs) simply go around Naboth by contriving a story, (laughs) putting two witnesses together, which is all it takes to indict someone still today. Historically, in that time, as well as even currently in this time. And both of them were of the, the, <laughs> the devil, Belal. And uh, so was she. And because of that, she had them testify that Naboth had blasphemed God, as well as the king. And in that, then, the people's verdict... Was that Naboth would be disposed of, and rightfully so then created the path for Ahab to take a vineyard that was close to where he his one of his primary residences were and or his principal residence was. And he wanted it for himself, and he was selfish, and he went to Naboth, and Naboth said, No, this is my rightful inheritance, and you can't have it. You can release it. You can rent it. I own it. You can work it. Uh, And with that, then Ahab went home, sad and dejected and a bit in that spoiled dimension, feeling sorry way too much for himself. And going to Jezebel "Eh, he won't give me his vineyard as if I could be any more melodramatic than I already am. And Jezebel says, oh, don't worry, honey. I'll take care of this. Aren't you really the king? And the king gets to do whatever he wants as long as I say it's okay on behalf of Jezebel. So that's really where we pick up the story. And Elijah happens to come in, as Elijah frequently did come in, as historically it's of record that Elijah would come in and speak on behalf of the Lord. And the passage that I read you was what God was saying, in really in judgment, pronouncement of judgment, to Ahab. And with that then we see... <laughs> Penitence, at least some semblance of that. And was it enough to stay the execution? Temporarily. Uh, Kick the can down the road? Temporarily. God did forgive. God is a God of forgiveness. And penitence is genuinely so. The only thing in right motive, true repentance, true change of heart, true change of direction is the only way that forgiveness really sticks. But I don't think God necessarily did not know the outcome, even when he, in that way, stayed the execution, so to speak, of Ahab. And righteousness dictates in material dimension that a penalty be paid for such lying, cheating, and stealing, such thievery not only of material possessions, but corruption of spiritual, and in that the whole concept, as we discussed last podcast as well, of the right motive for forgiveness. And it is truly blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, as King James puts it at times. When you say you forgive somebody, but you really are only doing it out of selfish motive. Forgiveness is a true Intent to release the person that you're forgiving from the obligation once they acknowledge they were wrong. I'm sorry. I am sorry. And you're obliged. It's the way it works. How do we know this? Because God will not go against himself. Cannot. And this is how it works. What we need to remember, though, is even as God's orchestrated, put together the dynamic of life in material dimensions. There is a consequence for not forgiving that we do not have to worry. We do not have to fret. We do not have to be concerned. No one escapes the consequence of unforgiveness because implicitly, if you go into it again, in the end, that's all you will end up doing because what conscience, as with Ahab, you might have left, what your rightful inheritance of conscience might otherwise be, you have chipped away, chipped away, chipped away. You have desensitized, you have muted, if not downright shut up, the Holy Spirit by not listening you're going to end up destroying yourself. And that is precisely what Ahab did. (laughs) In the next chapter, which we might get into, there's a good story attached to it too, that I think is worthy of the podcast, or at least sharing on the podcast. Ahab just went right back up and stirred it all up with Samaria again, simply because he wanted their Possessions, Not just their possessions, he wanted to possess them, control them. And he didn't learn his lesson, and he really wasn't sorry. If you do it again, forgiveness is important, but only important in the sense of on the God side of it, and for you who bestow it in that spirit of godliness, grace, and mercy. But forgiveness doesn't mean anything if you turn around and do it again. It's hard—I use that word a lot—it's difficult for me to comprehend why people don't learn except the power of selfishness is so profound, so significant, they can't resist the urge. I used to think—still do sometimes—it's all a matter of discipline. If you teach one early enough in life— to discipline themselves to at least be able to resist the temptation of a a constant yes (laughs) not only in terms of desire but expectation to receive to the degree of once more being spoiled you slow that down a bit but i still think dying to the flesh is hard (laughs) it's difficult it's jesus it's the cross that we all must bear it is the cross of Calvary. It is not in same measure or dimension or proportion. Only Jesus could bear the sins of the world. We just have to carry the ones in our neighborhood and sometimes immediately so in our own home, but we don't even do that well. This was a neighbor again of Ahab. Why are you fighting with your neighbors? Why do you have to be right all the time? Why does your entitlement, your narcissistic bent, get to the place where you mute your conscience, especially if your conscience is just trying to tell you, in the end, it never turns out well? Selfishness, self-service, with that intent in mind, to escape the consequences, The righteousness of God, the natural consequence is if you do this to people, you're not going to create a very hospitable environment, and the Old Testament is going to reign. It is justice, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. They're not going to cut you any slack. They're going to be less likely to forgive. They're going to be a few because there will always be a remnant who understands this principle in fullest dimension that will turn the other cheek, that will even so emulate Christ, but will only be able to do that out of laying down their selfish motives, dying, literally so, to self, so that Christ may be resurrected. How many times? Well, it's eternal. Christ is always resurrected. Good always overcomes evil. Forgiveness always wins. There is no justification for raising arms against another. Period. But especially after you've repented. Now that was the sermon. <laughs> the sermon part. If you were in counseling, that would be the context then. The premise of the judgment. Or at least the base For our examination and evaluation of the subject matter. What's the subject matter? (laughs) The golden rule. Do unto others as you like to have them do unto you. Reciprocity is okay. It's not the best. The best is just to forgive. That's what we've been saying and not keep track of it. The best is to operate in forgiveness as frequently and often as you can. The best is not to resort to self-defense whether it is physically or psychologically, and the psychology is a construct of physical matter, so it's all material life. It's all your living and breathing existentialism, your existence, period. But at the same time, though, it may not take you out today, but that's what we're looking at, too, is not only believing that we can make life better, even in material regard, the finite limits of our material existence, but that we are preparing a place for us. There's this place prepared for us, but we're preparing a place in the place that's prepared for us when we pass on, when we leave this existence. And we're enjoying the fruits of that now. The kingdom of heaven is for a time to come, but you get to enjoy that now in spirit. <laughs> If you live and operate in grace and mercy and forgiveness, the same thing that saved you, you're to extend to others. But the difference, sometimes it's more difficult to see. As I was reading this, it was very difficult, hard for me to not think of David, King David. And particularly, Nathan came to David, Elijah's coming to Ahab. We usually think of David as better than Ahab. I said that last podcast. The Word says it today that I read. There is probably none worse than Ahab. If not, he was not the worst of all the kings. And probably, as with the son of perdition, as close to what we will see as with son of perdition, A priori, or before we get to uh, the Antichrist in the book of Revelation, the end time. He is of the same cloth fabric fiber with his conscience totally seared. Sociopathically so, antisocially so, criminally so, mercilessly so. (sighs) He was awful. But David did the same thing, yet we don't think of David in that way. I'm going to read it again. But there was none like unto Ahab, starting with verse 25, again, chapter 21, who did sell himself, as even Balaam, to work the wickedness, or work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, she didn't make him do it. She just stirred it up and stirred up. And he did very abominably in following idols according to all things and did as did the Amorites when the Lord cast out before the children of Israel, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass when Ahab heard those words that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite, saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me because he humbled himself before me. I will not bring evil, bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. That's pretty much the same thing. God had Nathan tell David. And in that same way, David's response Ahab's response was very similar to David's response. And in that same way, God does not go against himself. He forgave Ahab even as he had forgiven David. And with that, even so, the same kind of circumstance. And I'm going to find it here. When David had then Jezebel as his possession that he wanted and then had her husband killed in battle so that he might take her as a possession, as we were reading in the passage today, that's exactly what Jezebel who can stir up Ahab? Had then Naboth killed so that then Ahab could take possession of his vineyard, his rightful inheritance. And with that, then very similar, even so, to the initial motives. Now, did David care any more for Uriah or the people than Ahab cared for Naboth, the Jezreel, or the people? I think so. Was David a man after God's own heart? Yes, I think so, clearly, which makes him far superior to Ahab. Ahab had none of that. Ahab was just about himself. But as far as the very practical pragmatics, the analysis of the situation, it's parallel. They both wanted something, David, Ahab. They both had someone killed to get the something they wanted. Why did they have the power to do that? Because both of them were kings, what was the difference then between their motive at that moment or time when they acted out of that evil therein? Probably none. The difference was, though, because David was a man after God's own heart and Ahab wasn't, when David repented, that was the end of it. Now, were there still consequences for David? Yes. Was the kingdom torn asunder? Yes. And did it happen in generations to follow for the sake of David and God's promise to David and him humbling himself before the Lord in such the manner, even as Ahab? Yes, but so too with Ahab. The difference, though, was that Ahab turned around and then did it again. And got Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, enmeshed in it. And I'm going to do it on the next podcast. We're going to read this chapter on the next podcast, chapter 22, because it's a good, good story. There's a lot of truth in it. It's good in the sense there's a lot of truth in it. And we might as well, since we're here. But the short of it would be, as you'll discover in the next podcast, Ahab really didn't repent he didn't have a change of heart he had no heart left is that permission to sin no but is that then at least a recognition of motive to do better yes for the sake of God at least for the sake of godliness for the God doesn't we don't save God God saves us. God loves us. We can love God out of the love that he gives us. We love because he first loved us. But at the same time, there is benefit, I think, in us cooperating with God in the same sort of way. You should forgive your neighbors. You should forgive the people of your home. You don't have to be subject to abuse and their continued selfishness to some extent, especially as you might have a choice where you don't raise up arms and you don't commit sin against them and you do that again out of the best of motive, you can say no. But they still may kill you. And though Samaria did deserve, deservedly so, (laughs) Jehoshaphat, I'm sure saw it that way when Ahab as he was politically inclined to do, was manipulating the circumstance to get somebody to go up against the Syrians to take, repossess what they had been taken from Israel. And even then, it's an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? It's Old Testament. It's righteousness, even in godly decree. But we're moving to a better awareness and understanding. God only gave us that because we didn't know and we were ignorant and we were immature. And as I'm trying to capture it's in us all. But if you truly repent, then it becomes on you if you don't as you've acknowledged, now that you know, if you go back and do it again you're just searing your own conscience. You're just putting a knife in not only God's heart, you're not only crucifying Christ, you're putting a knife in your own heart. And all you're going to get is the same. I don't think it's karma. I think it's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. People of lesser biblical awareness and knowledge call it karma. Is it reciprocity? It is. But I think it's an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It is righteousness, but it's only instrumental, logistically so. To get us to the point where we realize, yes, we need to be thoughtful. It could come back and harm us, but that isn't the best motive. Even that isn't the best motive. The best motive is to do it because we know. But that's still down the road, that consequence. We might get away with it for today. But tomorrow, there's going to be a price paid. And literally, pragmatically, again, in this case, we've already declared. It's already been declared. We'll continue every podcast to declare it. But even last podcast, we made it clear Jesus was prophetically, maybe last podcast, podcast before, prophetically was going to to be given in this way for the ultimate of sacrifices, To pay for all of our sin nature, that evil that is therein, us, the iniquity, that Ahab is in an unadulterated sort of manner, without shame, guilt, remorse, truly demonstrating. Now, that should seem pretty clear. That's why I believe it came to me, well, David and Ahab looked an awful lot alike. But the difference was, David truly meant it. He changed his heart. He truly repented. Ahab didn't. But even so, once a little leaven, leaven at the whole loaf, once a bit of that gets mixed in, it takes Jesus and the book of Revelation and the end time judgment of God to work all of this out. What we're suffering today in the way of the devil is still the same stuff that's all started in the Garden of Eden. It's just, who is David? Is there, again, a righteous, again, I say, because I always use this passage. It always comes to my mind, I always mention it, use the passage on on the podcast, a podcast. It seems like it comes up frequently on the podcast. Is there a righteous man to be found? Only if you mean it. Only if you repent, only if you do it. If you don't, I'm not going to tell you In whatever fashion or form I might be involved. I'm not going to tell you you're not forgiven. I'm not going to tell you you won't get a second chance. I'm not going to tell you that you're right when you're wrong. But if you agree with me on right, I'm not going to look at you and say, yeah, but I know you're not going to really change. Or it's going to take a few more of these. What are these? These type of circumstances. And the peril is... (laughs) If you keep doing it, your conscience is going to be chipped away and you will eventually run risk, great risk, the more you do it, of the inevitability of blaspheming the Holy Ghost. Your conscience will become seared. You'll become so hardened of heart that the only way will be to literally take out a knife and cut away (laughs) all of that that hardens the circumcision of the heart. But the longer you go, the more difficult or hard that becomes. Because you're set in your ways. It's like an addiction. The more you do it, you might get a chance. True, the more relapses you have, the closer you are. If you should get to a place of finally sobriety, the closer you come to that. The numbers decrease. The more you do it, the more risk you're going to become part of the numbers in the sense of statistically so. Those that don't make it. Those that don't recover. It becomes a, a smaller portion in percentage. Why would you do that? But that's really what happens in the Bible. It's all of this iniquity is being removed in the manner that God has chosen to remove it. Through forgiveness, grace, and mercy, rather than retribution, judgment, condemnation. God's going to let you do it to yourself. He's not going to do it to you. But that's really what the remnant is all about. There's a fewer and fewer number that recover. I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. Why wouldn't I want to be? Do I have the metal in me in my flesh to do that? No. Will psychological counseling do that? Will Christian counseling? Will specialized pastoral care services, Christian counseling ministry do that for me? Maybe in the way of Nathan or Elijah. But until you decide to change or allow the Holy Spirit permission, give the Holy Spirit permission, you decide to change being laying down who you are now. Dying to yourself so that Christ might be resurrected in you. It won't work. That's why you have to come to Jesus first and be saved and mean it. Or you are not going to get better. You may get better for a moment and a season. It may even seem like, oh, it's all great. You may even believe in forgiveness for a while. But rather than resurrecting Christ, all that will happen, if you don't enter into this, no pun intended, soberly, you're going to repeat the mistake. Now, am I going to be there to remind you? If you love me, if you love me, you want to come back and see me again? The podcasts are designed. To remind you, why do we emphasize the Word of God in the podcast so much? Especially one on what is covenant specialized pastoral care, Christian counseling ministry? Because we need to know right from wrong, and this is the context. Is everything about context? It is when people lack insight or are in denial. (laughs) And psychologically speaking, motivational interviewing would call that contemplation or pre-contemplation before you know, there's a bit of a conviction, but you just aren't really willing yet to admit it, that you're doing something wrong. Denial, lying to yourself and others, always gets in the way. Who's the father of lies and lying? It is the devil. It's all of the devil. It's got all of the same thing. Biblically, it's primary first. Psychology stole it from the Bible. It's not just moral. It's empirically sound. It's just, unfortunately, they don't give God credit when it comes to psychology. But we do when it comes to specialized pastoral care services, Christian counseling ministry. This is it, folks. It is the word of God. But that context with a true openness to receive instruction is the logistics that's necessary for the Holy Spirit to accomplish his end. The work is his. It's not mine. It's not yours. Mine and yours, should you come see me or someone come see me, is to prepare a place for him and to remove resistance on your part. There's no magic in it. There's no new formula for it. It's all mental exercises if you're not accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And then don't be surprised if you can't explain it because it's so miraculously so in you as the Holy Spirit coming out of you. And how did you not see it all along? Well, I'm just trying to help you. Look at David. Look at Ahab. Make that critical kind of comparison. What's the difference? So that when the Holy Spirit comes knocking, so to speak, on the door to your conscious awareness, you can say, oh, wow, I just had a revelation. Oh, wow, I just had an insight. I am that man. As Nathan was with David when Uriah was killed for the sake of Bathsheba. Or even Ahab. I am that man. You called me out, Elijah. I can't lie about it any longer. But he turned right around Ahab. Difference, contrast between Ahab and David and did it again because he had no conscience left. Or if he had any, it was just a very, very small measure. And maybe even then it was only in your brain, his brain. Brains don't save you. Psychology does not save you. It's logistics. You can make your life better. It is a bit of sanctification, even as the Old Testament is sanctification. You learn from your mistakes, but you don't want to live by the eye-for-eye, tooth-for-tooth righteousness. You want to live by grace-and-mercy righteousness. But it doesn't mean the eye-for-eye, an tooth-for-tooth eye, tooth goes away. It remains. But the grace-and-mercy is far above it. It supersedes it. But you have to operate out of that with integrity lest you fall right back into the trap of karma reciprocity, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And all that's going to get you is hell. Hell now because it doesn't work Ahab. Ahab will be your neighbor. Jehoshaphat though like Asa was righteous before God. That was a Probably it was for the sake of Israel. It was God's righteousness that Jehoshaphat go up with. We'll, we'll get discuss this on the next podcast. Chapter 22. For those of you who would like to read ahead, it's going to be First Kings chapter 22. But he went up with Ahab. But in the end, I think Jehoshaphat learned his lesson because he didn't do it again. Israel came a-knocking. And he said, no, I don't think so. I don't want to listen to this anymore. It doesn't work. If I tell you that, you should listen. The Bible tells you that. But if you don't take that seriously or you find yourself, for whatever reason, lapsing or relapsing, falling back into some apostasy, come and see me again. I'll repeat it in the podcast. That's what we do the podcast for, just to remind you. Now, should you want to continue a healthy dialogue of going back and forth on this, and please reach out to us. You can contact us at 304-528-9220, covenantsonline.com, covenants.llc1 at yahoo.com. We're on Facebook. We're on YouTube at Covenants. <laughs> And if you do come in, we'll just continue the dialogue. Should decide to come in to receive some specialized pastoral care or Christian counseling, we'll continue the dialogue in a maybe more personal dimension if you want to do that. But if not, then join us again, join me again, for our next edition of What is Covenant? Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry with Dr. Michael David Clay. Until then, God bless and thanks.